Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Observations. Observations is where we talk comic books and pop culture. Um, I am Rob Liefeld. I am part of the Rob of the Observations. The uh, comic books and pop culture have just continued to smash together in every possible way. It seems like the amount of movies and television and streaming and games is increasing and, and they continue to draw so much material, the raw material, the basis of all of this is the beautiful comic books that I have enjoyed um, my entire life since I was a kid, seven years old, pulling them off the spinner rack, 1974, 1975 on. It became my obsession, my passion. I have made it my profession. I draw and write and create comics and publish comics, and I have now for 34 years. Uh, Deadpool, Cable, X-Force, Hawk and Dove, The New Mutants, The Avengers, Captain America, Image Comics, Youngblood, so many uh, that, that I can't even cover. I have had such a fun time making comics for my career. Uh, Captain America and The Avengers were part of a giant event that we have been dissecting called Heroes Reborn. It launched in 1996. It, it, it took almost a year and a half prior to that, end of 94, all the way through 95 to uh, negotiate. We launched it in 96. It immediately went in 10 different directions. I don't think it ended in, in a way that anyone, especially you guys who are buying the books, anticipated. But we are going to do today, uh, we've, we, we've done all the chapters, walking through what happened with Heroes Reborn. And, and today we are joined by Jimmy J, who is going to help with our uh, we're going to call this the post mortem, the autopsy. We're doing we're doing the wrap up. Uh, that this is the roundtable, and and Jimmy and I are going to go over uh, all of the different aspects of of what went into Heroes Reborn, the stuff that you guys have given us feedback on. I'm going to take some questions at the end. We are going to address uh, uh, cap tits. You guys know what that is, cap tits, but you're going to have to wait till the end for me to get there because that is not our priority and you will see why. But Jimmy J, welcome. Let's talk some Heroes Reborn. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, I'm really excited that that this time it was such a great era. I mean, it, for me, it was is extremely exciting. I transitioned from the beginning of Heroes Reborn from being ultra fanboy, the guy going to uh, conventions, waiting in lines, to the the Wednesday Warrior, I was that guy. And by the middle of it, I became a retailer. So, um, so, so for me, Heroes Reborn is is a great time because it is that transition, seemingly for the big industry, where it's not just Image Comics and Marvel Comics and and my favorite creators. But for me, it, it has a personal significance as well. So, you know, so I'm excited. Everything about Heroes, uh, the Heroes Reborn, yeah. the podcast. I've been eating them up with a big spoon, and can't get wait. Can't wait to get into it today. Um, and I guess and, my and, and, and and our our listeners should know that you and I absolutely met at this point. It was 1996. So so Jimmy, our relationship, uh, my meeting Jimmy as comic book retailer, a guy that would. Um, come into the offices and say, hey, can I order X amount of numbers of these later on with um, my awesome comics imprint, Jimmy, as so many started to do and 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 do today, uh, would buy variant editions for his company. 
so, so I have known Jimmy very briefly as a fan, mostly just for these past you know 24 years. I've known you as a kick-ass retailer, so I love getting your perspective on all this. Oh, absolutely. Now, for me, I mean, and, and again, there's so much excitement. I mean, these stories have been fantastic. But the, when listening to your podcast, I guess the first question that I had is, do you think, okay, Marvel Comics, and they had the, from Joe King to, to um, all of his staff, do you think that they knew that they were rolling in the Trojan horse to, to Image Comics? Because, I mean, it really sounds like, I mean, whether it was the revolving door of, of Marvel management, it seemed like that on some level that they got exactly what they wanted. I mean, whether it was – I mean, were, do you think that they were headhunting talent? Do you think that they were trying to, to wreck the market share of, of Image Comics? Do you think that they didn't even care? What, what was going on in your mind at that point when you were first approached at Image, at Image Comics – to come on over and do the extreme makeover fixer upper on on the Marvel icons. So, so the 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 question that you asked was it a Trojan horse? Did we think that this was a, a method that they could um, undermine us and pull us apart from within? So, so first off, the answer to that question it is the first uh, thing that we all sat down and talked about. Larry Martyr, publisher of Image Comics at the time, his job was to service all of the houses. Is there six houses? Six houses. House Larson, House Valentino, House Silvestri, House Lee, House McFarlane, House Liefeld, right? So he is, It sounds like it was Game of Thrones. It, you know? Well, I think we've established it very much was exactly that. He was trying to service and keep every one of our houses happy because as I, you know, uh, mentioned in previous podcasts, we all paid into the central image office. We paid the salaries, mostly Jim and I paid everybody's overhead and the overhead kept everything connected. The, the image central office was, uh, paid for by our, you know, contributions, whether for those who don't know, it, it, it's very, it, it's worth going over again, whether you had one book or 10 books, you paid the same amount in. 2000 a book so if you did 10 books you know you're paying 20 in if you're doing if you're doing 20 books like I got up to at that time 40 grand in but Larry had been contacted as the guy to go to each of us I've already also covered and, and it's worth covering again Todd turned him down right off the the, the, the um the bat the the idea was he they turned, were approaching Marvel down correct he turned Marvel down they really just asked would you like to come back and do spider-man he said under no circumstances uh, Larry had contacted Jim and I simultaneously. We both uh, were were very interested in going down that road. I think it was um, that they were contacting contacting the three of us first to see if there was any interest. Once there was interest, now it was how do we manage this and how do we, uh, you know, put this together. But very much Larry, uh, to myself and Jim, we all discussed that this could be a means with which to. Um, tear us all apart because there was such a immediate and immediate brushback from somebody like Todd who hated any idea of doing this. And Todd saw Marvel as a competitor, as an enemy. Don't, he didn't want to um, um, get in bed with them. He thought Jim and I were making a huge mistake doing this. The long story short, and what needs to be said, is neither Jim or I cared. I 
created Extreme Studios and to to facilitate uh, Image Comics with my characters, my library, my my books. So so I owned Extreme Studios. Image is a shared label. It's a great label. It's fantastic. It's done so much good. But at that point, I, I'm already four years into my own setup. Jim is too. Jim is out there as I've established shopping for people to buy Wildstorm. He is talking to investors. He is talking to interested parties. So am I. The idea that we uh, needed some other element to uh, remove us from image is is missing the point. Marvel was not going to be and should never be blamed for being uh, anything but perhaps at the very best an accelerant to what eventually occurred because yes, on the other end of this, I've heard the lore and I've heard the myth that on the other end of Heroes Reborn, Rob leaves Image in 16, 17 months following that, Jim leaves Image. So so it does, the result is what the result is, and we're both gone in the wake of this, and we knew it going in, but we didn't care. So there you go. And, and it seemed like and it seemed like it was time stamped. I mean, given that you had the exit you had the exit strategy with uh, with your extreme books going to maximum press. And then from the previous podcast of, of Jim shopping. So it seems like that both you guys, you know, did, did have image in the rear view mirror or, or maybe not, but it just, it, no, it just I, I mean, like look, look, as I've said, as I've said a couple times, look, I've gone over whether it's Eric Stevenson, who was my de facto editor in chief at extreme studios, who now serves as a partner, as well as the day-to-day publisher. You have seen Eric's name in, 100,000 pages of image comics over the last 14 years. He is the publisher. Um, he speaks publicly for the company. I love Eric. We, 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 we did some great fun comics together. I called him up. He was there. He had a front row to all of this. I called Larry Martyr up to revisit this with him. Um, Jeff Loeb, as I have told you, we, we have always uh, discussed so much of everything that went down. And again, Larry, uh, confirmed. Yes, I had given him a resignation letter a year earlier. He had made some markings on it, some to, maybe a way to 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 make it a more powerful resignation letter or a more resonant le- resignation letter that serviced not just me but Image. If we were to, in fact, go forward, but Larry always he, he reminded me. He told me, "I'm just going to keep this in my desk, Rob. I'm going to keep this in my drawer, you know." And uh, and 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 just and another thing again, Larry would always remind us that that the overhead of Image was very much uh, dependent on the extreme, what extreme kicked in as well as what Jim kicked in. So again, yes, all of this is timestamped, as you said. The thing with Heroes Reborn, it was a big, sexy, sexy deal. Like, again, you can run these characters, you can start them over. Captain America, Avengers, Fantastic Four, Iron Man had had not been relaunched. We now live in an age that everything gets relaunched every 12 to 16 months. A new X-Men number one, a new Iron Man number one, a new Doctor Strange number one, a new Captain America number one. That was not the case. In 1996, this was the first time that Avengers was being relaunched. It was the first time Captain America was being relaunched. The Fantastic Four, this was a big, giant, exciting, we we are going to reboot these concepts, make them uh, new and fresh. And again, my total recall, Philip K. Dick approach to Steve Rogers, Captain America is in stark contrast at the time to this, Hey man, this 1950s notion that he blew up in a rocket and he fell into the Arctic and he was in a, an ice cube for 50 years. That's what preserved Steve Rogers. 
that was the methodology in the 60s of how you get to this. That's that's what they did in these kind of sci-fi serials. You know, that's how you got into suspended animation. So again, everything that we threw at this was trying to modernize it, keep in line with what not only I liked, but what the culture was chasing at the time, make these fresher. These books were not selling well. The idea that they were going to give us free reign to, to create these storylines to publish ourselves, hand in a disc, that's it. Here it is, publish it. And the big money, the big exposure, the big promotion. This was a st- this was a once in a lifetime opportunity to step into this role. I think Jim and I were never not going to do it. It was inevitable. Well, you know what? And, and actually, you you brought up a point that that Heroes Reborn started this the the relaunch culture that we live in. I mean, I did on. On earlier this week, I handed in my FOCs as a retailer. You you get to adjust your numbers, so I sent in my final numbers on Iron Man number one again. I mean, I don't know how many Iron Man number ones I have ordered since I've been in business, but it seems like a lot. Uh, but it seems like Heroes Reborn to me was like the first time that all these icons got a new number one, and yeah. we felt like that, and we felt like that those were new ongoing titles. So, I mean. Granted, it was a pocket universe, but I mean, it, with all, given the landscape, it really did feel like this was this was the this was the restart. Yeah, now, this, again, this is the, you just said you're you're ordering on your final order cutoff. You're ordering an, another new Iron Man. I mean, X Men. All these books get relaunched all the time, but 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 again, let's key on what's an important thing that that really speaks to the first flag. It was actually the second flag. The first flag was being there physically in New York for the press conference to announce Heroes Reborn and getting, being physically there, seeing the resentment, the cold shoulder, the anger. It was palatable. The second flag was when they said, hey, because that's not how it started. Hey, how it it didn't start with a pocket. And when they said, this is going to be a pocket, then you go, oh, oh, there's an exit strategy built into this that New York wants to make this temporary because when it was first sold, it was a hard uh, reboot that would be on its on its own and we could pr- potentially interact with the entire Marvel Universe and reshape it as we go. Um, you know, the Spider-Man and the X-Men books were, were off, off the table. But again, that pocket universe was the first inclination that, okay, so, so this is finite. And, and, and again, that, that is the mastery of Marvel New York now putting uh, a barrier. They're, they're, they're putting parameters, uh, a, a beginning date with, with an end date, a pocket universe, right? But again, it did facilitate the new number ones. And the new number ones were special. They were a big deal. It was fresh. Um, I, I cannot, like I said, I, I cannot underscore how exciting. And when you're a creator and maybe you're, you know, we've been doing the indie thing for four years then, Youngblood launched when I was 24 years old. Youngblood comes out April of 1992. Captain America launches when I am 28 years old. I, I, I Again, I am a young man. I, I meet 24 and 28 year olds now and I am just, my head spins that I was ever that, uh, uh, just, just that engaged, that, that, that motivated to be, to be, to be producing work at that level. Because by the time Youngblood launches. I've already been in the business four years. So, so you know, 1996, Captain America, Avengers, all these books. I'm 28 years old. So, so this is, you know, 
is re-engaging me. I'm excited. You know, it, it, Jim is excited. Uh, maybe more. <laughs> Jim has other reasons to be more excited than I was. Well, actually, he, it, and that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Okay, because in in the last podcast, that you know, that there's you know, there's mention that you know, Jim is making these these moves to to New York and and you know these you know cloak and dagger midnight flights out there to you know to take over Marvel Comics and and relocate it to La Jolla but in in this process okay and and I know that there's a long dance there's a long dance for for contracts and and you know you guys had your signing bonuses and and you had your press conferences and and again that there's this this big long dance uh between you know between uh Joe King and and uh, Jerry Calabrese and Jerry Calabrese. That's the name that I was looking for. Jerry Calabrese. But did you know at the time that like that this was basically a a um, a like a game show? I mean, to me, this sounds like like, you know, Jim Lee is playing, you know, Donald Trump's The Apprentice. Um, it seems like it's a Mark Burnett, you know, survivor style, you know, style game. And. And it seems also, I mean, get, again, with these podcasts, maybe being, you know, hindsight being 2020, but it seems like, you know, New York is in different players in New York are, are playing this game. I mean, whether it's it's uh, Bill Jemis and, and Dan Buckley or whether it's Marvel, just Marvel, you know, the old school editorial, whether it's Jim Lee, whether, you know, he's, you know, he's flying out with different people, whether it's, you know, alliances and, you know, people, you know, people, you know, telling parts part truths and hiding truths and, and things like that. It, it seemed like that, that this is an entire game show going on and you are just excited to, you know, you're all American boy doing all American cap. And it seems like, like that was your end goal while everybody else was playing for some other prize, you know, like some other game show prize. Yeah. She, she, Again, so, so, so that's pretty loaded. And give me, give me, give me a, a minute here to, to 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 address all this stuff. So, so yeah, the attraction to me is the characters and the story. I had a definite story for Cap. I, I again, what I haven't covered in, in, I can't even believe in four episodes. What I haven't covered, and I'm going to say it now for the first time, is uh, the Red Skull, Modok, Baron Zemo, Masterman. I got to sink my teeth into my some of my absolute favorite uh, Marvel Comics, Jack Kirby uh, designs, characters, Red Skull, a seminal Kirby Marvel villain, Baron Zemo. Um, I, I've told you about my love of the invaders and, 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 and Masterman. And so I had a story. And again, if you look at my story, there's no room for my story to interact with Fantastic Four, with Iron Man. That would have been great. But I knew, it, especially at that point, I just have to tell my story because at that point you're looking to tell the story, make it into a collected edition, you know, make this a legacy work, something that's put on the shelves, something, something that has a middle, a beginning and ending, you know, that was my focus. Uh, I, I thought it was a big, big order, a tall order. I did not want to fail. I wanted to deliver. I cannot underscore again. This is, these books were selling 25,000 copies, 30,000 tops. And and we then sold 300, 200,000 of these. I mean, the reason I've always been, I've been wanting to read that letter is uh, the, the, from the publisher terminating me for my low sales of 200,000. There are no books monthly doing 200,000 right now in 2020. There were no, very few, very few, far in between. 
1996. Captain America from 25,000 to issues three and four, 200,000 is gigantic, gigantic, a gigantic hold. So that was a huge purpose for me. And I felt like if I could tell those stories and I could excite the fans, then, then that is its own reward. I'm also getting paid a handsome sum of money. Marvel, the flip of like, like us talking amongst ourselves about the Trojan horse and, and is Marvel trying to divide us? Look, enough. I have not given enough to Calabrese and Joe King saying, you know, if we make this call, if we go down this road, this is going to blow everything up here in New York. Um, you know, these guys are going to resent us. The editorial office is going to flip. The, 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 the brushback is going to be severe. And all of that occurred. It happened. I mean, again, Calabrese doesn't make it to the to the third year of his deal. He exits, he leaves. Joe King follows shortly thereafter. Um, the, the idea that they were like, this is worth pulling the trigger on speaks to where Marvel was at at the time. And clearly, as I've said, I've read people, I've gone to some of these groups on Facebook and I see these fans and they're sweet, but they are misinformed. Marvel did not go into bankruptcy as we've covered in the previous podcast because of low comic book sales. Please, let's repeat that. They did not go into bankruptcy because of low comic book sales. They went into bankruptcy because the debt of a consuming Fleer trading card company, Panini sticker sticker company, Toy Biz toy company, Heroes Reborn, Heroes, sorry, Heroes World is the name of the distributor that they bought located out of New Jersey. They were the number three distributor, a very small one, but now they became the hub of all things Marvel. You could only order Marvel comics if you went through Heroes World. Oh my gosh, some of this is eye-opening to what's happening today with, 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 with what DC is doing with Lunar Comics. Some of these are lessons that 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 clearly there were guys with notepads who jotted, jotted all this down. Yes, I'm looking at you, Jim Lee, who are now we are seeing a heroes heroes world distribution set up again now in the modern day in in 2020 but marvel is 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 on it's on uh not it's not on solid footing at this time and and the people at marvel took a bold enough shot with us because they're like what do we have to lose what do we have to lose so when i'm focused on the content Jim is going, there's clearly a rift here. There's an opening for me to go in and see if I can't play this to my benefit. He's already trying to sell Wildstorm. So now he moves with a Wildstorm asset part of it into, well, I can run Marvel. You'll get my assets, you know, which is Wildstorm. You can run it from La Jolla. I, I think I've covered this, how the guy was really, they crunched the numbers and the numbers really made a lot of sense to them. Uh, I've, again, time and again, over this course of this year as you're born, I have put people who were in the room. I have I have put people who are in the room, gone over these stories with them, whether it's Larry Martyr, Jeff Loeb, Eric Stevenson, myself. Larry Martyr was in New York when the guy, the accountant said, you know, if we move to La Jolla, and we vacate these Manhattan, this Manhattan real estate, and we open these offices up to subleasing, even subleasing, but we eliminate the workforce and we run things out of the La Jolla office, even though that is some, some expensive La Jolla, you know, uh, uh, real estate, those Wildstorm studios were swanky. They were art deco. They were really nice, but still, you know, 
Marvel, the guy said we could save over 50%, 50% of our operating expenses because they're looking at how do we continue and maximize our, our, our dollars. And Jimmy, of course, they knew that bankruptcy was on the table at that point. You don't just suddenly wake up and go, we're doing, we're, we're, we're bankrupt. When I met with Scott Sassa the day of the SC UCLA game in Beverly Hills, as I've, ta- as I've talked in the four seasons, in the giant suite, th- that is one month from when they filed bankruptcy. It was on the table. It was something they were considering cutting costs. So Jim saw his opening and he went in there and Larry did confirm that that New York meeting when he's with Perlman in Perlman's giant bunker-esque expansive you know, office, he places that in the summer of 1996, which is months before these books come out. Now, I learned of the Ron Perlman coming out to the La Jolla offices in late 96, early 97. It's right there, but it's it's winter. It's it's Jeff Loeb is the one who informs me that this is going down. And as I have said, and I need to re- just completely reemphasize, Jeff Loeb believed that Jim Lee was going to be his boss. Jeff Loeb believed that Jim was going to take over Marvel Comics. It was so close. And whatever Dan, Bill Jemis and, and maybe Dan Buckley as, as his backup, whatever they did, whatever they um, you know put forth, uh, knocked that, eventually knocked it off. The deal didn't happen. But the long you know, answer is yes, Jim saw this as a business opportunity that he could form, that he could, you know, use to 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 mold to his, you know, to fit all his needs. They right. absorb wildstorm. Me, me it seems it seems like like your needs your needs was, hey man, I'm gonna I'm gonna draw a cool story. I'm gonna have my friends draw some cool stories or friends meaning studio mates, etc. Right. Like we're gonna do some cool comics. And it just seems like different people had a different idea of what their yeah, it, end game, what their prize was going to be, what the you know, again, and I, I say it's like the Mark Burnett uh game show. Well, it's like, you know, like what they're going to be crowned yeah. with. So 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 here's the deal. Yes, my my uh my needs, as you said, were creative. I had a creative Jones and I fed that creative Jones. That's, that's what I wanted. Jim had completely different set of, of, of plans, schemes, whatever you want to call it. He almost pulled it off. And look, I need to go to this place because I have thought about this over all these weeks. Once again, why are we talking Heroes Reborn? Because they just reissued yet again last week, the latest Captain America Heroes Reborn uh, th- these are expensive. They're fat trade paperbacks. They're they're very. They, they print them on the nice paper. They're really nice. This is the fifth. There's two omnibuses that reprint my Captain Americas. One is part of a overall Heroes Reborn entire giant phone book, and then one is part of a Rob Liefeld omnibus. But it has all of my Captain America stuff in it. Then there are multiple soft cover trade collections, and the latest edition is coming out. And it's funny to to pick it up and see how, and, and and you had actually shared this with me, how the solicitations read. In 1996, Marvel reached out to the top creators to restore their, you know, failing icons. Okay, like that is exciting. And it's exciting that, it, look, Marvel put out a hardcover coffee table book last Christmas, 80 for 80, their 80th anniversary. Jimmy, the 1996 anniversary page, every year gets a project. 
every year there's a spotlight. 1996 is completely Heroes Reborn. And they talk about what a huge deal it was, what a huge success it was. But I, so, so that's why we went down this road. When I speak of this, as I have over now five episodes, including this, this, this wrap up, this autopsy of everything, I, I have thought over what did Jim need to do? And I'm going to tell you something. This is really obvious because it's like, what, why didn't the deal hold together? And I'm going to tell you right now, uh, when Jim was transitioning, the, the, the path that took him from Punisher, which was a good book, but it wasn't the X-Men. The path that took him from the Punisher to the X-Men was one year, I believe it was 1989, uh, half of 89, half at 90. Jim came from the Bay Area. He was in San Francisco at the time where Art Adams was, where Mike Mignola was, where Eric Larson was. So many of the um, young talent was in the Bay Area and Jim was there, but he had, he had informed everybody he was relocating and moving to Manhattan for one year. And I was there while he was there. I was there visiting. I knew he was there. He invited me over to have dinner with he and his wife one night. And they had a studio apartment not far from the Marvel offices. And when I say studio apartment, I mean a kitchenette, a bathroom, a cot on the ground that they slept, and a a TV. I mean, very. the office I'm in right now is about the size of the like studio apartment that he rented for one year. He went with to Marvel to... He, he said, I just wanted to be closer to the operations, get to know everybody, get FaceTime. He uh, he was in the offices. The editors told me, and again, another couple of editors who I interact with on social media have confirmed we have these different comic book groups we're a part of. And even six months ago, the guy goes, oh, I remember that period. Jim lived in New York and he came in and we saw him every day. And one of the perks, certainly when I was there, I did the same exact thing. Every day at Marvel Comics back then, comics were coming through FedEx boxes. You didn't have scans. You didn't have files. Nothing digital was happening. This was all you mailed your work in. All of it in giant FedEx boxes. So Dale Keown's Hulk, Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man, Eric Larson's Spider-Man, Mark Silvestri's X-Men, My New Mutant's work, whatever Ron Lim's doing, anyone, John Romita Jr. is all coming into the office all across the editorial offices all throughout the day. And I've been there when a Dale Keown package came in. I was at DC during Hawk and Dove. John Byrne and George Press pages came in. Kevin McGuire was actually in DC drawing Justice League. I got to look over his shoulder and watch him do it. Well, you ask for Xeroxes, you ask for copies. Jim, Jim's work grew leaps and bounds by seeing what everyone was doing every day. I did too. I grabbed an entire you know, packet of Xeroxes. You grab the pages, you get permission to go make those copies. So you go home with whatever your peer group is doing so you can study it on your flight home. Once you get home, share with your friends, whatever. That's how it was. Jim... Uh, he, he started doing all sorts of covers while he was there for all, all manner of books, Conan, Red Sonia, St. George, St. John, whatever book that was called that they were doing through Epic. He, he did X-Men covers. He's, he's doing Wolverine covers, like six Wolverine covers. That was a very productive period for him because he was there every day, four to five days a week in the Marvel offices. Jim, to close this deal, Jim needed to relocate in 1996 and sit and be there every day expecting to be counter-punched by the Marvel New York offices that would have closed would this have gone through. And the fact that he did not stay, rent, whatever, this is in my mind, this whole what-if scenario, how would it have been, how would it have stayed together? I'm sure it haunts him as well. It's something he clearly wanted, but by the fact that he would go back to Southern California, 
he left the opening for the guys like the Bill Jemis and everybody who wanted those offices to stay to, they got the FaceTime, they got to sit down and go, well, here's the argument against, look at these sales, Heroes Reborn isn't doing what you thought, blah, 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 blah. So in retrospect, I don't know how that is not the case. I think he, had he stayed in New York for six weeks, just said, I'm not leaving until this goes my way. That That is probably the critical error made in the entire deal and why it did not happen. And then, of course, following that, Jim then scrambled to sell to a media or a tech company and ended up with the DC Comics deal as the only deal that was left after about 17 months. That is all part of comic book. That is that is fact. But so... Again, no, when, but I do think talking, that that's interesting. As you say, that's interesting that you're putting together the facts, but definitely a sliding door with experiences and a sliding door. What if you know, like you know, hey, we live in the multiverse that that in a, in a different dimension, you know, maybe he would have made those moves, you know, or or whatever. Well, you got uh, Bill Jemis. You got Bill Jemis looking me in the face with his big grin, saying, "I killed that deal." Right. I yeah, that, that happened. Deal. As you say that. Happened in 1998. I mean, it seems like you know he was definitely, definitely proud of that, uh, proud of that accomplishment. And he seemed that he had, uh, again, based on these podcasts, he had a, a bit of swagger when you guys, when you guys went out to lunch in uh, in 1998. And, and there's something else that we should we should share that people I, I haven't been clear on. The guy that I met, Scott Sassa, who is the old boss replacing the new boss. Okay. The new boss replacing the old, old boss. So Calabrese and Joe King are in there for two and a half years. Then Scott Sassa, new guy from Turner broadcast is coming in Uh lovely, lovely guy, Asian guy. He, because he was Asian, um, he was burning up the charts in, 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 in the, in the, um, in the entertainment world. Um, at that point, I think there was, you, you were starting to get like, you know, all sorts of, whether it was the Sony, a corporation via the PlayStation, whatever. There was lots of different components. It wasn't just um, the, the 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 white man wasn't running every component of the industry anymore. And Scott Sassa comes in, and he's the new guy who replaces the old guys who were the new guys. And Jimmy, he's gone. He's gone. In I don't. He didn't last as long as Calabrese and Joe King. He was gone in probably sixteen months. Okay. Because, and the reason I'm pointing this out is, and the reason I'm like, you need to go there, you need to say, you need to, you need to finish the deal is clearly stuff was being shoved in front of them all the time. Well, what about this option? Uh, let me think, how about this option? You know, Scott Sasser replaces Jerry Calabrese and then a guy named Joey replaces, I, that's all I remember, his name is Joey, Joey replaces Scott Sasser, who then goes on to be, again, he was a sexy hire, he got some other big uh, media gig. So he, he, he just kind of parked himself briefly at Marvel and moved along. And then another guy came in. And, and what we also should very much point out is Ron Perlman was at, at the point that they file for bankruptcy in December, 1996, he is fighting to keep that company for three years. He loses that company. He, Ike Permutter emerges as the new owner, the stock buyouts. I mean, this is an entire season of succession with all the different um, billionaires. And there's another key billionaire whose name I do not know, but he battled Perlman, you know, the hardest to get it. He just didn't come out with it. It was Ike Perlmutter who came out with Marvel. Perlman, all his lieutenants, everybody 
they lost. They they lost. So whatever was going on with whatever proposals, move to La Jolla, relocate Marvel Comics, make it a West Coast operation. I think things were flying fast and furious. And yes, Heroes Reborn was, it's funny that you mentioned Trojan Horse like, you know, 30 minutes ago because Heroes Reborn was really the Trojan Horse. Like, hey kids, look at these new fun comics behind the scenes. Everything's changing. It's not just Cap has an eagle on his head. It's like behind the scenes, we're changing bosses left, right, and center. And our destiny ends up not being the same whatsoever. So yeah, crazy times. Crazy times. And I mean, and, and in this podcast, I mean, we we've bounced around the Bill Jemis name. I mean, because Jemis, he went on, and this is in my mind, you know, I'm early as a as a comic retailer only for a few years now. And Bill Jemis definitely inserts himself in in the conversation um in 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 and around the year two thousand of putting his stamp on Marvel Comics. I mean, we call this the Quemus era because you didn't know where Joe Quesada started and ended and you didn't know where Bill Jemis started and ended in terms of their, you know, in terms of their uh, creative stamp or, or editorial stamp on Marvel Comics. Um, and because that name is so present and because this name is so, you know, so, I guess, in, embroidered in Heroes Reborn, do you think the Ultimate Universe, which is the Bill Jemis I mean, Bill Jemis, heck, he put his name on, on the cover of, of uh, Ultimate Spider-Man. He yep. unrolled the Ultimate Universe. He made sure to tell everybody that he handpicked, you know, this, you know, the the new creatives that were, you know, that were the hot guys for the up and coming hot guys from the era, which is uh, Bendis and and Mark Miller, and I mean, but he made sure that his name was was in the creative lights as well. And, 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 and look at how that look at how that cel- uh, uh, separates him from Calabrese or Sasa or Cheryl Rhodes, who wrote me that that letter. Jemis goes, "I'm going to step into the sp- I'm going to step into the spotlight. I'm going to do a little bit of a Stan Lee. I'm going to get you. You're going to get to know me." Jemis talks to the press all the time. He's at the conventions. He's taking the stage. He wants to get to know you. And as you said, kids listening to this now, friends and neighbors, kids who may be 40 years old. When I say kids, I mean everybody. The giant Spider-Man, Ultimate Spider-Man omnibus that I have, that, you know, first 40 issues, whatever, uh, you crack that open, you know, Ultimate Spider-Man 2000, you crack that open, it says story by Bill Jemis, top name, Bendis, second second position, Bill Jemis story, Brian Bendis, second position, Jemis Bendis, then it says we talked about scripters too, right? Script, Brian Michael Bendis. Bill Jemis, to your point, put his name, Ultimate Spider-Man number one, which may have been one of their most successful titles in his entire era. He is listed as the story guy. And, and Jimmy, I don't know how they reconvened and re- reconstructed things at that time, but you know, th- that that means you're getting royalties too. I mean, you're, sto- you're a story by guy? You're in the royalty pie as well. So you're not just the publisher. You're now a guy getting writing credits. Bill Jim, and, 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 and talking to you, it's interesting because I, I think he probably decided I'm not going to be sniped behind the scenes. I'm not going to be Calabrese shown the door, Cheryl Rhodes shown the door, Joe King, Scott Sassa. 
I'm going to be, I'm going to let everybody know I'm Bill Jemis. I'm, I'm a character. I'm cause he was a character and, and, and the people who weren't familiar, oh, he, he, he was out of the company by 2006. But, um, he, but he definitely had like this WWE persona. Like, you know, he would get into, he would get into, and I don't know how, if they were real or not real, he would get into, to, you know, fights with other creators. He would, you know, kind of have, you know, gentlemen's bets over whose books could sell the most because he came out, he wrote a lot of stuff during that era, whether it was trouble or, or Marvel and things like that. But, uh, but back to the point, I mean, it just seemed like Bill Jemis looked at the ultimate playbook and I mean, excuse me, looked at the heroes reborn playbook and said, Hey, this is pretty good. Uh, you know, we're going to do a lot of this in the, yes. in the ultimate universe. No, hundred percent. Look, if if you're asking me, do I believe that Heroes Reborn was the template for the Ultimate Universe? Hundred percent, one hundred thousand percent. Yes. I mean, come on. They they had just done this, and and again, uh, look, I I haven't mentioned this either. I didn't know I was the number one selling Avengers until the Avengers movie came out. John Jackson Miller, our Nate Silver, our five thirty eight comic book guy, John Jackson Miller, and his ComicCron.com decided um, to get some headlines with the Avengers movie coming out in 2012 and said what you know taunted everyone do you know what the number one selling Avengers comic is and I clicked on that and I just I was blown away he had all the numbers he had all the data he had gone back to the 60s he had mined you know all sorts of direct market and newsstand numbers and he said it's Rob Liefeld's Heroes Reborn they haven't been able to outsell it Jimmy that number that information was not known to me I only, I, you know, when they sent me that letter saying your issue, your 200,000 sales on three and four of Avengers and Cap are disappointing. But then they say, they're not to say they're not impressive, because how do you not, you know, go, these are 10 times what we were selling. But, but, but what we're not saying is our expectations were that these were going to be more in the millions, which is ridiculous. Nothing was even remotely selling in that range. I mean, those numbers are the top numbers, but I did not know the extent that Avengers had sold, but they did. They saw this works, this whole rebooting, making them younger, fresh start. And now they're going to do it with Spider-Man and X-Men, your two top selling books already. Spider-Man and the X-Men regular issues are already the top sellers. Jemis is like, hey man, pocket universe, let's do it. They're going to be younger. We're going to revisit all the old haunts, you know, make the old trep tropes fresh and boom, you're off to the races. Yes, it was a template. They used it. It was very successful. Um, and, and, and I mean, yeah, we, we, we kind of were the, uh, the blue, the, the blueprint, the diagram for, for all of that. And, and in both cases, they were both very successful. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, again, I, I still kind of scratch my head and go, I, I can't believe, I, I truly can't believe that the, that the Avengers record hasn't been broken. I mean, especially in this era that, you know, we can create that a new book, a new launch has 30, has 30 covers. And, and back then, I mean, on your heroes reborn to, to your credit, to Jim's credit, to, you know, you know, Wilson, Iron Man and the Avengers, everything like that. You guys launched with a regular book and you guys had a, like a one in 10 variant. You guys didn't have these high-end variants. You guys didn't have any cover enhancements. There were no die-cut covers. There was no, you know, I mean, it's like there was, it's like what you saw is what you got. I mean, it just seemed a little bit different than even whether it's five years earlier where 
Marvel and DC did, you know, all the crazy scratch and sniff cover enhancements, or whether it was, you know, 10 or 15 years later where, you know, they're brokering deals with like Loot Crate to, you know, you know, buy, uh, you know, you know, a hundred thousand copies yes. or, or, or things like that. So, I mean, it seems like, I mean, whether you, you know, and, and the listeners should know, the listeners should know that those kind of deals happen regularly. Now, a company like a Loot Crate is included in the number when because they have to order them through Diamond still. But Marvel says, we're going to give you an exclusive cover that you package through your mail order, you know, books. And and and, and they suddenly get 100,000 additional orders. I mean, the, the times, like you said, the times have completely uh, have completely changed. And, 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 and look, yeah, Jim and I were supposed to be the gimmick and we were, and it worked. Um, like I said, I'm with you, Jimmy. I laugh. I, they put Wolverine and Spider-Man in the team and John Jackson Miller shows that there is a, almost a 60,000 disparity before, between 1996 Avengers and, uh, 2004, you know, Wolverine, Spider-Man, join the team, Avengers. And and yeah, I didn't know that. But look, so like I said, the, the, the Heroes Are Born, uh, I, there, there's so much. You have no idea the, the amount of, I, I, I got to tell you, even in the last couple of days, whenever an episode goes out, five to six to seven professionals, my DMs, I won't, I, I don't have permission to share them. Some people I've never worked with before, people have reached out to me. People who were there at the time said, Rob, you are recounting this exactly as it happened. It's interesting to see your take from it. We were in New York. A guy uh, mentioned to me uh, the whole Ralph Macchio. He said, Rob, I am so, we are so happy you stood there. Again, I cannot underscore. I am in New York. And, and for the press conference of Heroes Reborn, Stan is there. The company's, you know, it, it's the big parade. We're going to go out there and say this, this groundbreaking deal with Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld, our two best-selling artists who have our record-selling books are coming back to relaunch this universe and make it fresh on one of the editor, the editor who tried to uh, uh, get cap to, to, to go up in numbers uh, to compete with me, to show Marvel. You don't need to go to the West coast. You can keep it here. We know what we're doing. Uh, and, and one of the guys who worked on those books said, Rob, you were right. Those books, those numbers, we could not move extra copies, but that editor had a dartboard with my face on it. Uh, you know, darts in my face, Jimmy, I'm sitting there in New York city. Uh, they are doing this groundbreaking contract, but the editorial guys are mocking me and, and Jimmy, trust me, I was aware. I saw it and I'm like, Oh, this is fun. I'm going to just kind of lean up against the door. So there's a picture of me behind me with darts in it. And I'm going to talk to this editor who's got his desk facing me. Like, this is no big deal, man. How you doing? I'm good. You good. And, uh, now guys are telling me, Rob, that, that, that you know, it was, that was, everyone talked about how you just kind of stood there and, and didn't care. And, 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 and the cold shoulder was real and, and they were absolutely trying to undermine you. And then there's people who are like the stuff I've listened to on your podcast. I cannot believe what I'm hearing. I can't believe this stuff went down. We had no idea. And the thing is, here's the point. There is this whole subterfuge that's going on behind the scenes that I've always thought was just as exciting as the comics we were giving you, if not more so. And so okay. that's why this, this, as you say, this is this is a season of of HBO and HBO entourage or, or or whatever. I mean, it's I mean it's it's fascinating. I mean, I'm eating I'm eating this up. Yeah, and, and, eating- and again, I just cannot underscore. I did not see the gym trying to um, run Marvel out of it. And and look, that's fine. 
uh, I would have liked to have seen how that looked. That's not a, that was not like see the, Todd McFarland showed up one day to inform us all in person at an image meeting, probably ninety four. He pulled out of a box a spawn prototype toy and he announced to all of us, "I have uh, for the last twelve months been working behind the scenes to make a toy company." And my toys are coming out in seven months. I was thrilled. It was exciting. What an exciting, like, I, I never wanted to have a toy company. I, I, I dabbled in making my own toys after Todd did because you just go, well, what's this like? Jim started a, a, a trading card company, a game card company shortly after because he wanted to dabble in that. But, like, sometimes, you know, the goals that your peers have aren't yours and you celebrate them, you know, Um I, again, wanted to tell the stories, told the stories, had no executive ambitions. It, you know, I, I judge me by what I do. And in the last 24 years, I have not attempted once again at any point to run a company. It's just not in my DNA. Uh, I'm an artist. That's what I do. I make pictures. I tell stories. That's my passion. Um, but the fact that Jim was trying to run Marvel at the time was is a big it, it, it's, it's always given me a big kick. Um, all the ways that I found out about it were even more hysterical. The Jeff Loeb slip it up and showing up on my doorstep the next morning and, and, and just full on confessing, here's what's going down. Here's what like was like funny, but you gotta understand at that point, we are at the end of these stories. The, these, uh, my six, the six issues of cap and the Avengers I've already been given the your sales are are not what we expected although they're impressive you're getting terminated the the control is gone the appeal is gone i i can go make money somewhere else the control was no longer there the fun was gone but that that's where i'm so, so i'm like well i'm i'm finishing this up like i'm i'm exiting this so this will be interesting to see the form that it takes and yet it, it didn't you know like i said it, it didn't come together which is there's clearly pieces of this that we don't know that we may never know from the Ron Perlman end, you know, but he, a big ass, a big ass billionaire got on a plane and went to La Jolla to inspect the offices that would represent Marvel on the West coast where, you know, things were going to be run. So it, it was definitely uh, close to a signature deal closer than I think we'll ever even imagine. Oh yeah, I, I don't see a billionaire jumping on a plane or jumping through any hoops unless they have to or want to. Um, but uh, you know what? There's another. There's another aspect I wanted to ask you about um, or share with you is that again, this was the era that I was moving from being fanboy number one, guy in line, guy at the signing, um, to um, to being somebody who actually sells comics and. I'm bringing and I'm setting up at all of the comic cons nationwide. And this was, you know, this was my, you know, this was my path. This was my my goal, um, uh, along with you know, with with my family. And we go to a, a convention in Las Vegas. It was a startup, and um, you know, the attendance actually was was really soft. But given the the guests, it was Jim Lee and everybody at. Uh, from from La Jolla, he was there. You had all the bad girl creators, you know, like whether it was like Polito or you know Billy Tucci. I was know, there. Time um, and and yes, you were there. There was everybody from 
from Top Cow, Mark Silvestri, David Wool, Michael Turner is there. I mean, we're talking about the Vegas sports book, you know, with, with the Top Cow guys. So it really was like a who's who, you know, of, of comics there. And uh, Heroes Reborn, one half, the one half wizard book came out at that. There was a few issues out. And I believe this the show was in December. This comic convention was in December. And for in yes, the, no, uh, Captain, end America of, 4. The end of, Captain America 4 was out. That's correct. Absolutely. And this is the end of the bad girl era. So it was definitely this transition from independent comics to what's going on at Marvel and DC. Because when I was during this era, Marvel was not cool. Unless you were the X-Men, unless you were Spider-Man, Marvel was not cool. So I was just shocked, shocked that, okay, that Rob Liefeld and Captain America had a line that kicked everybody else's ass. And my brother and I, I mean, again, you know, we're buying all these bad girl books at the time and all these independent books. And we're, we're shocked by this um, because we're also reading in the fan magazines, a.k.a. Wizard. You know, it's like, oh, man, you know, it's it's, uh, you know, that that, you know, that these books weren't cool. And it was, you know, the other books, the Jim Lee books are cool. Now, fast forward a couple of months later, we're in Pittsburgh. Okay, we're set up at the Pittsburgh Comic Con, and the convention floor is connected to a Marriott, and there is a, a long hallway between the two, the two buildings, and this is in, in Monroeville. I mean, the place feels like a bomb shelter, but, you know, big, you know, big convention floor, and the convention floor is packed, packed for your signing, and at this point, I believe it's out that you are no longer taking over the back six of Heroes Reborn, that you guys are out, that you guys are, you're fired. Um, and um, again, I'm still stuck on this Burnett, you know, reality show yeah. that this, that Heroes Reborn is turning into. But there was a line that you could not walk from halfway in the convention center all the way to the Marriott because of this line is so thick and is so, I mean, it's so intense. You can't even get back and forth. And, and then I scratched my head and I go, oh, you know what? Pittsburgh, man, maybe Pittsburgh just isn't cool. And they're a little bit stuck behind the times. You know, Captain America is cool out here. and The Avengers are cool. And, you know, because, again, my brother and I, we think that we're so ahead of the curve. And, you know, we're, we're reading, again, what's in the fan magazine of what's great and what's not great, supposedly. And so, then, let me, so let me address and, some of that. No, the, 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 you, you, the, the, this is great. Just, I, I see what you're saying. And, and it, it happens. I mean, and it happens all spring. I mean, it happens at WonderCon. Yeah, no. So, so, so the, the fans love this stuff. The, 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 like I said, you know, uh, there, there, there was, again, the great thing about doing this show that has really been because now I am talking about a story that happened uh, where I'm involved in the story and, and fans who are at these stores after the very first podcast, a bunch of guys from the mile high store said, man, I wish I had photos. That place was packed wall to wall. You have no idea. Heroes are born. Captain America. Number one launch at mile high in Anaheim was one of the biggest store signings I'd ever been to. And I have been to monster store signings. And this one was one of the top three of all time. The fans love this stuff. And like you said, so, so that in Vegas, I remember again, the same thing. It, 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 it was um, great reception, uh, very competitive show. I remember because finally I was having Masterman and Captain America throw down. And that was the comic that had their big fight in it. So I was excited and the fans seemed to dig it. 
Um, I was, it was absolutely clear now by that time, because again, in my letter from the publisher, it says, we've projected your sales on the issue fours. They're already, you know, cutting back the costs, offering to, to give me a discounted rate, but still really good and discounted royalties, but still, again, they're in bankruptcy mode, get more for less, pay less. Let's get out of this deal. Let's get out of these, 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 these contracts. Um, well, again, it seems like that's going on right now is, you know, high price talent. It, 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 it all feels, yes, it all feels very familiar to me and very familiar players are involved. So that Pittsburgh um, that you mentioned specifically, and there's a couple things, because I want to talk about Joe King real quick too, um, and, and, and the whole game show thing that you keep, uh, I think, very wisely framing this with, is, uh, look, Pittsburgh, I showed up, I go to my hotel, I'm walking through the sky bridge, I see the long line, it can't possibly be, be for me, because at this point, like I said, I'm not I'm not Wizards darling, they've um, done a lot of mocking of, of me and diminishing of people who like my work and trying to make my fans ashamed. And I'm walking to my table and, and, and justice league was coming with Grant Morrison and Howard Porter. And I had never, Howard Porter was a young guy, but I thought, come on, this is a big deal. They're, they're digging, they're digging on the wizard was salivating all over JLA. I thought the line was for Howard Porter and it was for me. And I was shocked. I literally was like, Oh, I, I can't believe this again because you you do get you know it's it's a mental thing where you have to program yourself against uh, the enemies who want to see you fail who've just have who've determined that they're going to use their platform and their voice to diminish you and man I just want to give a shout out to all my fans over the years who have never ever ever stood down in the face of all of this the the most obvious efforts to diminish me my work mock me. That, that wizard crew, they're just a bunch of bad guys. Someday we'll do an entire podcast on the Paola era. Yeah, go ahead, kids. Count how many pages each company advertised and then correspond that to what comics they were pushing. Um, and they, they picked and choose their favorites. They wanted you to know. And this group of uh, guys covering Marvel, at specifically at this time, 95, 96, really had it in for me, uh, would not reflect what was going on uh, the, the, they, they reflected what they wanted to see, but that Pittsburgh show, I specifically remember that. I remember seeing you there. I remember being thrilled, like, wow, people really are digging this stuff. They're showing up. They're showing their support. They're showing their enthusiasm. Those, those lines are all based on enthusiasm. So it was exciting. The fans have always been there for me. And I'm uh, so I'm going to pivot real quick and, and, and tell you something that I need to share from someone who, if you've listened, listened to my podcast, I'm not a fan of this guy, my very first editor on Hawk and Dove, Mike Carlin, but he he really stressed a point that the minute it came out of his mouth, I knew he was 100% right because I've been there, you've been there, everyone listening to this has been in this spot. He said to me, I think it was about a book called Checkmate that I had enjoyed at DC and he mentioned that they were canceling it. I said, oh, that sucks. I said, he goes, you, he goes, tell me about it. He goes, every time we cancel a book, here at any publisher, every time we cancel a book, that's somebody's favorite comic. That is somebody's favorite comic. And I, I really felt that when they pivoted away from everything that we were doing on Heroes Reborn, um, I mean, that was obviously people's favorite comics. They, they were, you know, upper echelon of the charts. And I think people were very let down, very um, disappointed. You can't find anybody that will champion the back six of Heroes Reborn. Once Jim took them over, uh, Nice guys, but everyone was just kind of ringing a bell, grabbing a check, 
a lot of musical chairs, no consistency. They were just playing out the string because, again, by this time, Jimmy, they're even they're even starting to announce that Heroes Return. There's going to be an event that returns them out of the pocket, out of the pocket, restores them into Marvel. Which, yeah, like you said, so so th- that's why I always knew, especially Jimmy being there in December for the press conference, seeing how hard Marvel was going to fight. Like you, you can imagine something and then you can experience it when you experience all the people who are pissed off to see you. Not just, not just me, Jim. And I'm going to tell you something. When he was leaving, Joe King, Southern gentleman, talk like this, Rob, Joe, call me up one night, drawing at my table. Rob, it's Joe. Just want to give you a heads up. I'm leaving the company. I'm following J- Jerry out the door. It's been fun. It was fun doing this. I think uh, it accomplished what we want to, no matter what the people tell you. But uh, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to tell you something right now. He tells me this, and I, I'm, I'm all ears. He said, Rob, they're coming after you. They perceive you as the weaker of the two, and uh, they're going to take you out first. And once you're out, Jim, they're going to go after Jim, but they're going to separate you guys. They're going to take you first. And then once Jim's got everything, He'll be easier to take out, but I'm just giving you a heads up. This is what's in the works. And I said, Joe, I see it. I see it coming. Thank you. Thank you for the heads up, Jimmy. That was like, I'm like, he really wasn't telling me anything that I didn't already know that, that the, the, the temperature was, was bad. You know, um, had we not, I think Bob Harris was conflicted. The fact that Jim and I threw down so hard for him to be the EIC and the fact that I'm going to go back to during Bob's tenure as editor of the X-Men in 1991, when X-Men and X-Force launched, something you need to know, editors got royalties. Editors got rewarded for those sales. So Jim and I together gave gave Bob 12 million sales that summer. Um, if you don't think he got a sweet paycheck out of it, he did. He confirmed it. Like editors... At that point, the rules changed a few years later. But at that point, so 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 we knew that we had a friend in Bob. Bob made made, made did very well by us. The company did well by us, and the fact that we helped put him in the EIC position, which he held for four years, I, I figured it would give some conflict to him trying to nuke us. I, do I believe he still had to act on behalf of everybody in the New York offices who wanted that deal kiboshed? Yes, and I think when Jim was told, not only are you not going to be running this company and you're not going to be assuming the position over all of us and in, in, in publisher of Marvel and we're not going to take on Wildstorm. You're not getting another year of books. It's over. I do remember, No, I heard very, very clearly that, that the news that Jim wasn't getting a year two, that was just baffling to him, but it shouldn't have come as a surprise to him either. They wanted us gone. And again, it, it, it does. It's, it's a, it, the minute we got on board. It was like, what are we going to get out of this? For me, tell my stories. Tell my stories. Do work that's respectable. That when it's put out in its fifth edition, as it was last week, and I can grab it and I can beam with pride and joy because I'm super excited by that work. And and that that that's how I feel. That it, it was a great opportunity. I took advantage of it. I wisely was very cautious, especially knowing that the, the focus on the the first half of the year was going to be more important than the second. No, I mean, this is, I mean, again, this is, this is a great, you know, this is a great tale. And I think everything is involved in it. I mean, for me, it was such a big shift and it was an eye opener. It was an eye opener again, going, 
this is this is a brand new this is a brave new world a brand new era i mean because again you know fantastic four was not cool captain america was not cool everything that was cool was an independent i mean if you were running back to doing marvel and dc it seemed like that was the those were the the you know those were second stringers your a-list a-list a-plus guys and it was like they were doing independent books and that was where the heat was and now all of a sudden it it, it changed and I, you know i was again going from being a fan as a retailer and you know i was seeing what was making us money and it was and it was definitely an eye-opening experience and so i mean this just seems like such a key you know a key moment in the in the history of comics that you know that that is largely you know uh, uh swept under the rug um look it's got everything it's got the big sexy stars the, the, the coming back from their own studios it's got the big characters getting the facelift it's got a press conference you know it's got a uh, it, it's got relaunches it's got fresh takes it's got all of the behind the scenes drama i mean it really is an amazing, 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 um, um, you know, uh, period that 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 has so much, you know, just swirling like crazy. I need to get to some of these Twitter uh, questions that I put out there. Um, so, so I'm going to do a couple of these rapid fire. Uh, um, the 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 question. Uh, a guy says, "Would you have stayed at Marvel uh, with the bankruptcy?" You know, had they not changed your deal? No. Uh, I, I The reason I put a guy on a plane with the discs to get the check in person, bankruptcies are funny. Um, they, they, they were, they, you know, you immediately become a creditor standing in line to get your piece. And, and, and because I was a contract player is why I got that 24-hour heads up that they were heading that direction. Uh, I just, again, fulfilling my six issues getting even cable to hang out with cap in the last issue was important, but the writing was on the wall. The control was gone. They were, a, they were a company in free fall. Ron Perlman lost the company. They were a company in free fall. Um, was, was the, uh, was onslaught specifically written. This is by pop culture. The other one, I'm sorry. The other, um, question was from Jason bomb. So Jason, thanks for that question about the bankruptcy. Uh, uh, this is from pop culture. And theology was onslaught specifically written to set up Heroes Reborn. Onslaught was written after the fact. Once Heroes Reborn had always been uh, the focus for a year and a half, and then Bob specifically wisely, wisely, I think. Um, and I can't underscore. I, I really need you guys to know. Marvel did a great job embracing Heroes Reborn, whether they liked it or not, launching it, having onslaught build this giant X-Men saga that then saw Franklin Richards create the pocket universe. That was all something that Bob Harris came up with to facilitate the idea that this was a temporary thing. Again, something that was not discussed, you know, to begin with, but creating an event to create the event I thought was great. And, and again, they did such a great job promoting. They came through heroes reborn, the marketing, everybody at Marvel in New York, through everything they could behind it, 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 I thought it did just, I thought it came out great. I thought it came out great. Um, um, the, uh, let's see, here's another question. Um, it says, uh, <laughs> no, I'm not going to do a Todd voice right now. Um, would I have sold extreme studios to Marvel if they made the same offer that DC made to me? 
to J- to Jim Lee. Would you have sold Extreme Marvel if they made the same offer DC made to Jim? No. I, look, I was dancing with Netflix a couple years ago. Um, the, the, it didn't. The deal didn't close. I knew the number that they paid a competitor of mine, Mark Miller. Um, I needed those numbers to reflect that. If I'm going to sell my catalog, because I don't, really, I don't, I don't have a company, I have a catalog. My characters, I want to know that they're going to be in a platform that they are put and launched in games, animation, cartoon, movies. I've got patience on my side. If I don't do it, my kids will do it. Um, that's my legacy to my kids. I don't want to sell to another comic book publisher. I think that's very much uh, 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 that's either a necessity or a, cons- a consolation pr- uh, prize. That's how I looked at it. I, I would not sell to a publisher. Um, this is a great one from Keith. Dotson, did the negative reaction of other pros, particularly at Marvel, affect your interactions with them? Were any pros you had been friendly with stop interacting with you over the deal? Completely the opposite. Like Jeff Loeb coming up to me at WonderCon in 1996, a few months before the books are going to launch. Hey, man. Hey, pal. Hey, pal. Jeff Loeb. Hey, I'm writing all your characters. Cable. X-Force. You know, at Marvel. Hey, pal. I'd love to jam with you on these. I'd love to jam with you. If you get into a jam, include me. I mean... That people were knocking down our door to work with us because of the uh, sexiness of the deal. Um, you know, so, 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 uh, that, that, how did it deal when, Mar- how did it feel by Matthew Meyer? How did it feel when Marvel asked you to come back and do the sequel? We are going to cover Onslaught Reborn. We're not going to cover it today. It was great. Again, a shock. 10 years later, wait, what? You want me to come back? Jimmy again, underscoring how great these books sold. Um, so one thing that we have to cover that I promised we would cover. And, uh, and then when I do this, I'm going to talk to you a little more about how you reacted to these books. You, Jimmy J, but let's talk about caps tits. Caps tits is a big <laughs> deal. His, his caps tits is a big deal. It's a meme that gets thrown at me often. Um, th- there's a reason it doesn't trigger me. I, it, it's so just lame and impotent. And I'll tell you why it never ever existed in the context of Heroes Reborn. It was an ad. It, it, was a, it was a promotion piece. You'll see it in the Marvel Vision magazine, which is their version of Wizard that promoted their own stuff that has me and Stan and Jim on the cover. You'll see it there. It was a giant blow up the day of the press conference. That's why it's behind me. And I'm going to tell you, five different people from the Marvel executive wing shook my hand before and after the press conference and said, oh my gosh, we've never seen Cap look better. We've never seen, oh my gosh, I understand that it has become this thing that um, people are obsessed over, but you have to know there's no internet. There's no social media in 1995, 96. None of that happens until the 2000s, until way after. I I remember Cap, the Cap tits picture being a form of mockery and um, and, and, and a, a meme popping up right as I was signing the contract to do Onslaught Reborn, the sequel. It did not, it didn't haunt me. It wasn't a part. I mean, you were there, Jimmy, right? It wasn't, it didn't exist. Oh, not at all. I mean, and I I think because maybe it was because it was a promo piece. It's, I I don't, like, this didn't, this didn't hit me over the head when, you know, when it was out because it just, it wasn't, I mean, it just, it wasn't a big deal. I mean, it wasn't, um, I mean, I mean, the piece is, I mean, I, I kind of roll my eyes at it now, but it's like, it wasn't, it wasn't a cover to a book. It wasn't a variant cover. It wasn't a pinup. It wasn't, it's not seen. The only place that it's seen is as a meme on the internet. Yeah. I mean, it just, it came, it came, like, 
years after you guys, the, the only form of internet that was just starting in 1986, 1996, and Jimmy can tell you this, CompuServe, CompuServe message boards. boards. Yeah. Yeah. With the, dial-up the, modems. You know, you know, dial-up modems. Hey, anybody, did you read CAP? And you'd wait weeks for an answer. <laughs> Like this wasn't like, like social media is today. You guys, it's not like that. Caps tits is fun. It's funny. It had no, no bearing whatsoever. It did not influence. It was, it was a, it was an ad. I felt like I did uh, not, not an ad. It's, it's not in a Marvel comic. You can't find it. It's not in the publications. It's not in these reprints. It was literally something I put out as a prom promo piece to show like, you know, a big strapping image of cap. It was exciting. Uh, the, the, the funny thing is how much I got complimented on it. But, but the thing is that, uh, again, I look at the cap body of work I did. I'm so proud of it. So many of you guys are sharing. You're showing me on Twitter. You're showing me on Facebook and, and Instagram. You're, you're sharing with me. You're either rebuying them, getting your old copies out, ordering fresh copies that you've never had before. I am so proud. Those six covers on cap. I mean, that, the reason I didn't go forward with, the, with that image is I, I got better images. Uh, you know, you, I was always, I took this job seriously, man. I wanted to excite people. And the one thing, Jimmy, that I can absolutely confirm is how many people have contacted me and shared with me how much they loved Cap. And you said it here. They weren't buying Cap, the Avengers, Fantastic Four, Iron Man before then. And I covered several podcasts ago. Marvel sees a finite amount of money. We moved four issues Four titles worth of income into their bracket. We must have taken them from Dark Horse, Image, DC, wherever they came from. That was the, the, the Marvel knows there's only so much money in the market, and they reclaimed a giant portion of it by making those Stan and Jack characters sexy again. But yeah, Cap's tits. I love talking about it, but but if you, you guys, the guys, when you throw it at me, it does nothing. It didn't do anything. It doesn't factor. Um, Jimmy, wrapping up. What, what your memories of this? I mean, you've shared the convention memories, selling the books. I mean, anything stand out to you? Any any long-lasting impact or or something that really shocked that crap out of you in in this recap? No, you know what? I, I think if anything, and I, I mean, just what I want to make clear is just the it's the eyeball test. Is that I mean, it's like if you were there. I mean, which no duh, you you know, you, this is a firsthand account from 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 your perspective. But it's like if you're a fan, if you were if you're on the front lines, if you were picking up books, if you were at the racks, it's you experience like I, I did. I mean, it was, you know, the you know, the heat, the fever was there. And and I mean, it probably was, you know, when you guys were doing, um, uh, you know, your end of your Marvel days before you felt before we felt that way with image com. I mean, before we felt that way with Marvel comics. I mean, it was a thing. It was definitely this return. My college roommates um, at University of San Diego, they all came and they all went back to buy Marvel comics. And I mean, that was I mean, that was just unheard of. There was no reason for them to do it other than it was cool. And um, in, in to me, this is the first time. I mean, we it's hard to believe now in this world that the Avengers, okay, the Avengers brand is not a cool brand. I mean, it is a, a multi-billion dollar franchise. Okay, tons of spin-off characters. I know that um, it's just, it's hard to believe this world. I mean, heck, my son downloads Fortnite with all these Avengers characters today. Yeah. And, um, and it's just hard, it's hard for me to believe 
So, so I, got, I got to share something with you. You just jogged my memory. Jimmy, I'm going to share something with you. Uh, in one of the earlier podcasts, I talked about my agent. Jim and I had an agent, CAA, biggest agency in Hollywood, guy Jim, named John you, you and I'm sorry, you and Jim Lee had the same agent. Me and right? Jim Lee had the same agent. Yeah, not me and Jimmy Jay. Me and Jim Lee had the same agent. His name's John Levin. Cool guy, great hair, fast talker. Rah, rah, rah. It's John. It's John. You're meeting with Tom Cruise. Okay. 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 You're, you're, you're meeting with Tom Cruise tomorrow, 1230. Be there. Don't be late. Okay. All right. This is how he talks. He's, he's, he's so fun. We did so many great projects together. Um, he put me in rooms with Tom Cruise, Steven Spielberg made big deals. Hollywood wasn't ready to make comic book movies in the nineties. I think we all see that. They, they just, the only comic book movie they even began to understand because it made money was the, the, the Tom, uh, I'm sorry, the Michael Keaton, Batman movies tim burton batman movies so so it was a really weird time but so yeah so so my former agent john levin is now chris hemsworth's manager if you can believe this chris hemsworth's manager and so so uh we had bumped into him at the thor ragnarok uh premiere a, a few months prior earlier in the year and he had been really generous introducing my, my kids olivia and chase to uh to to Chris Hemsworth and, and, and Mark Ruffalo. And so, so John's a great guy. I've known him, you know, known him when his daughters, his, his girls were little and now they're, you know, married and grown. And now my kids are teenagers. So it's great. He grabs me at the infinity war uh, after party. Okay. It's the biggest Jimmy. I've been to so many of these premieres since like, I mean, I was at the last action hero premiere the the patriot games with harrison ford i mean i was at mission impossible in 1996 with tom cruise okay so so i've seen big premieres nothing compared to the size and scope of infinity war and the after party is enormous because every guardians of the galaxy and avengers and bad guy is there so they give everybody their own kind of sofa area their own group of chairs and tables and so john goes rob rob come here come here come on come on and he grabs me and leads me by my arm and he goes, and, and I'm walking right up to Chris Hemsworth himself, Mr. Thor again. And, and he's, you know, got a drink in his hand. He's just having a good time. Obviously, you know, he knows infinity war is going to be a giant hit and he's great in it. And, and John Allen goes, Chris, Chris, Hey, I just, I just, I just wanted to, I wanted you to say hi to Rob. Okay. This is Rob Liefeld. And I uh, just wanted you to, 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 to understand that, that, uh, when nobody cared about the Avengers and, and the Avengers weren't cool anymore. Okay. Okay. This is the guy. This is the guy. Okay. Marvel turned to him, okay, and 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 uh, and it all starts with him, you know. 1996, uh, Mar Mar Marvel makes the Avengers a priority again, and and and, and it's Rob, and, and and he's the guy, and I just you know just thought you should know. And Hems was like, hey, hey, good to see you, man. Hey, mate, good good to hear. And I'm like, right on. Like I'm just like, but Jimmy, it splashed the coldest water in my face because I'm like, wow. John Levin just connected all the dots and he is everything we've talked about. You've mentioned it. It's been mentioned. People tell me cap Iron Man Avengers and the fantastic four were not cool. They were not on anybody's must buy list. The sales reflected that and Marvel, you know, when they got to the Avengers as a media property, it's because they hadn't sold them off to Fox who had the X-Men and Fantastic Four or Sony who had Spider-Man or New Line who had Blade. So this is this is a crazy like connection now, you know, making all these years later. Because again, John was my agent. John was there. John was part of it. And he's just like, yeah, yeah. 
he doesn't he doesn't dabble in comic books. He does deals. And he just remembers when the Avengers was a big deal and they Marvel decided to put big money and promote it. This was with my former client, Rob, meeting my current client, Chris Hemsworth. And I sat there like it takes a lot to befuddle me. But I was like, whoa, whoa, that is just fascinating that he made that connection. And he got, you know, when, when you're. When your former agent is telling Thor this, it it it, it means something special. It's it's different, and and again, it's just underscores the impact those books had. And I cannot tell you how thankful I am to everybody who has shared all their great memories of that time and their excitement, some of their disappointments, but all of it. And uh, Jimmy, we had the best time going over this. Oh, absolutely! This is the best. Come on, this this, this story has it all. And uh, I'm glad that I got to be a part of it when when I was there on the on the front lines, and I'm glad talking about it right now too. So good times, good times. And and, and like and, and again, I just said uh, you as, as I've said before, these books are on Comicsology. If you can't get the trade through Amazon, through your own comic book seller dealer, I always I love the physical stuff. I have a giant physical bookshelf, you know, bookshelves. All around me, I love paper. I love the actual stuff, but it's nice to have these stuff in digital on your phone, on your iPad. They're there right now. You can get them. Um, revisit this world that we've walked through. Uh, next time around, Jimmy, we're going to revisit so much more that happened during this time. You, you had mentioned you want to talk about the crossovers. We're, we're going to do that. That makes sense. We can jam on that. Spider-Man, Bad Rock, Youngblood, X-Force, Cable Prophet. Um, I mean, there was there was... Marvel did Supreme Gladiator, um, Wolverine, Bad Rock. That's the one I was. Yeah, well, I mean, we did so many of them. So we are going to swing back around. We wanted to kind of, you know, wrap this up with a roundtable. I think we did. We hopefully got some stuff. You guys are 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 that's on your mind. We we hopefully we covered it. Now here's the deal. You can catch me on social media. Talk to me about the podcast. Anything. My body of work. I'm so glad these books are in my body of work. Um, I am on Twitter, at Twitter, with at Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, at Robert Liefeld. I didn't get the Rob Liefeld name. The squatter loves that, um, but I have the blue check, so that makes makes you understand that that's me and not an imitation account on Instagram. I'm at Rob Liefeld, just Rob Liefeld, at Rob Liefeld. Again, the blue check will tell you that I'm the real deal, not the, in- the imitator. I'm all over Facebook. I'm all over social media, the internet. You can reach out, talk to me, get feedback. I love talking to you guys. Now, here's the deal. Jimmy is going to tell you right now where you guys can catch him. You can catch me at, this is on Twitter and on, on Twitter and on Instagram at Amazing Comic Con. That's all spelled out. Uh, you know, no funky spellings, Amazing Comic Con. And I'm here to talk comics and conventions and pop culture like everybody else. I absolutely love it. We'd love to hear from you. J- Jimmy and I, we both are, are, are connective tissue um, in, in the 24 years we've been jamming is that uh, we do comics, guys. We make the comics. We, we, we make the comics, sell the comics, you know, put the comics out there in the pipeline. So, hey, everybody, I'm signing off as I always do, wishing you the very best. Please take care of yourself, stay safe, and we will talk again soon. 